Um, happy Labor Day weekend. Uh, so before I dismiss the children to the back, uh, Mary Beth, I want to skip right to that prayer. Um, school has started, and uh, if you can, would you stand with me and let's pray this prayer together corporately. God, may your kingdom come in our local schools as it is in heaven. Keep our schools safe, but more than safe, let love fill their classrooms. Let joy dance in their hallways. Let kindness reign on their playgrounds. May learning and flourishing take root in and through these schools, from preschools to colleges, traditional, home, and alternative for the sake of their students, their neighborhood, and your world. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Children, if you'd like to go to the tables in the back, you may. Um, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3 this morning. Zoe, if you would join me. Zoe is going to read for me this morning. Uh, before we jump into Genesis chapter 3, I want to remind you of uh, the formational learning community that will be taking place Wednesdays, uh, second and fourth Wednesday of each month for six Wednesdays total. Uh, for the fall session, we'll be exploring the book Everything Belongs by Richard Rohr. Uh, we'll use it as a springboard for conversation and engaging in spiritual practice. And then in the winter-spring session, we will use Barbara Round Taylor's book An Altar in the World. So if you'd like to be a part of this, please order or purchase the book uh, Everything Belongs and let me know so I can uh, have a sense of how many people are coming and we'll look forward to it. Um, Genesis chapter 3. Um, we have been talking about this idea of original blessing and that God created all things good. God declares everything good, 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 and very good. God declares that he has created us as human beings in God's image. There is something deep within us that reflects the divine. Uh, there is this beauty, this harmony, this shalom that God created the earth to experience. And we were meant for this beauty, this harmony, this shalom. We were meant to live in harmonious relationships with God and with each other, with the, our inner self and with the planet itself. And yet, we know that something is deeply broken, right? We know that something has gone wrong. Uh, maybe for you, uh, growing up, there was this defining moment where you realized something is wrong with the world. Uh, for me, growing up, uh, I grew up in a, in a safe home. I, I grew up uh, with a pretty wonderful childhood, all things considered. While I experienced times of sadness and disappointment, uh, it, it never really hit me how deeply broken things were until uh, probably in ninth grade when I was working at an apartment complex. And my job at this apartment complex was to do the landscaping, to take care of it, to beautify it, to, to try to bring some type of shalom back. Uh, I tended roses, I trimmed trees, I trimmed bushes, I cut the lawn, and uh, I, I loved this work, being outside and getting to be a part of God's creation and cultivating God's creation. And one beautiful 
sunny day during the summer, I'm walking across the lawn and I'm walking past the pool. And usually on a sunny summer day, this pool was filled of noise and laughter and joy and delight. And on this day, as I'm walking past, it's silent. Although it's crowded, it's silent. And as I look over, there is a girl not much older than six or seven laying on the concrete, purple. And EMS has arrived. They take her to the ambulance, and her breath never returned. Uh, and all these questions rose up within me. Why didn't anyone at that pool know CPR? Uh, why would this happen to such a young, beautiful girl? Why, why does this exist? And, and I've never come up with an answer. If you have, I would love to hear it. But what I do know is that the creator God of the universe is the God of love, the God of joy, the God of delight, who is still very active and present in a broken, broken world. That, that we as humans make choices. God, out of love, gave us free choice, and we make choices that are often contrary to God's will. And through this brokenness, we see all kinds of other brokenness in the world that we don't have good, adequate answers for. And so in, in the Christian tradition, there's this story that comes on the heels of the beautiful creation narrative in Genesis 1 and 2, this story in Genesis 3 uh, that puts some language to the idea of how sin, how death, how brokenness entered the world without giving uh, nice answers for all the evil or brokenness in the world. There's this story that we often look to, that we turn to, and we explore and, and, uh, and see this loving God that allows humans created in his image to make choices contrary to God's will for us. And so we're going to explore this story this morning. It's familiar. And so my hope and my prayer for us this morning is that God will open our eyes, will open our hearts to something perhaps that we haven't seen here before, uh, something that will speak to us in a new way this morning and draw our hearts closer to the creator God of the universe who longs to restore shalom, longs to bring things back to the way they're supposed to be, who longs to bring the world to rights. So if you want to follow along, uh, there's Bibles under the seats in front of you, and please welcome Zoya, who is going to read for us this morning. Go ahead. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. So the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. Now, this word crafty uh, is not a bad word. It's a word that's used in the Hebrew Scriptures elsewhere. It's used in the book of Proverbs to talk about wisdom, uh, to talk about uh, a good type of wisdom. And so uh, this isn't necessarily a bad word. Uh, of course, one of the first questions immediately that pops into our minds reading this story is, now, where the heck did the serpent come from? The story doesn't tell us. We don't have good answers for that. What we know is that there's a serpent who was more crafty than all the other wild animals. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from 
eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Okay. So, the serpent comes and tempts the woman with this fruit that God had said, do not eat. Uh, the woman, yeah, I, the serpent says, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? So, the woman uh, has heard the story apparently from the man because the woman hadn't been created yet when this command was given. And, uh, and she says, uh, we're not supposed to eat the fruit from this tree and we must not touch it. Now, God never said don't touch it, but it seems uh, wise that if you're not supposed to eat it, you probably shouldn't tempt yourself by touching it either. Uh, so the serpent comes and tempts the woman. And I think the, temp the temptation... Uh, is manyfold in many realities. Uh, but what the serpent gets at with the woman is that if you eat the fruit, you won't surely die, as God had said, if you eat the fruit, you will be like God. What did we talk about a few weeks ago? Genesis 1.26, the God, that God created humans in his image and his likeness. And the serpent says, you will be like God. The woman and the man are already like God, created in God's image. But the serpent has a new twist on it. There's something that you're not like God, and that is knowing good and evil. If you eat from this fruit, you will be like God, knowing good, and evil. Now, the question for me is, uh, did God want these first humans to know about good and evil? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, my sense is, probably. But I think God wants these first humans, he wants these humans to come to him and say, hey, the serpent came and said, if we eat from that fruit that you told us not to eat from, that we'll be like you, knowing good and evil. What, what's that about? The temptation from the serpent is to obtain a kind of knowledge from a source other than God. To grasp for something outside of God. The temptation from the serpent is, God is holding out on you. And if you want to be like God, you need to obtain this knowledge outside of God. I think part of the temptation here is that the serpent is trying to convince these first humans that God is holding out on them. And so there's this kind of anxiety, this fear that arises in the first humans. God's holding out on us. That there, there is a situation they face. Do I grasp for something outside of God, or do I trust God and go to God and ask God? Uh, I believe the temptation remains the same for us today. 
that each and every day we face situations in our context where we are tempted to believe that God is holding out on us, that God's best interest is not always for us. We, we face a temptation that we can do it better, that we can obtain something outside of God. And this is part of the temptation that we face and that the first humans faced. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Okay. Uh, notice how many times the eyes and sight is mentioned in these few verses. Verse 5, the serpent says, if you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. Verse 6, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. The eye is the window to the soul. And the eyes here, the serpent says, your eyes will be opened. And he wasn't lying, was he? They ate the fruit and their eyes were opened, knowing good from evil. But their eyes were opened to so much more. Their eyes were not opened in a healthy and good way, the way it could have been had they gone to God and asked if God, what is going on here? What's the deal with the fruit? Uh, what is good and evil? What is this knowledge that the serpent tests, uh, tempts us with? Instead, they grasp for this knowledge on their own. They have traded devotion to the Creator for self-devotion. They, they have traded this beautiful story God has written for them for a different kind of story. And their eyes are opened. And now they know good from evil. And so, and they realized they were naked. So here's the thing. I, I don't think they just realized they were physically naked. I think they realized they were emotionally naked, spiritually naked, mentally naked, that, that they were vulnerable, that that which they had freely shared with each other, that which they had freely shared with God, that which they had freely experienced within their inner being, all of it was exposed, and they now realized, oh my goodness, I am exposed, I am vulnerable, I am naked, and their first inclination is fear of that exposure, fear of that shame, and they attempt to cover it up. They, they cover it. They hide. They don't want anyone to see the true self. They don't want anyone to see what's really going on inside. They are afraid. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Okay. Uh, 
When God says, where are you, do you think God didn't know where they were? Uh, I think this is a much deeper question than asking, where are you physically? They're hiding. But they're not just hiding behind a bush somewhere. They, they are attempting to hide everything going on inside of them. And God, out of love, does not abandon them. God comes to them and says, where are you? Where's your heart? Where's your presence with me? Remember when we walked through the garden together and there, there was no hiding? We hid nothing from each other. Now, where are you? Where have you gone? Where is your heart? Where, where is your presence that we experience so intimately? Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Okay. So uh, the movement is fear, uh, false coverings, shame, recognizing vulnerability, nakedness, uh, hiding, and then God out of love comes and says, where are you? And, and it's more fear. I, I realized I was naked, so I hid more hiding. And God says, did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? And now, out of fear and hiding, it shifts to what? Blame. It's not my fault. The woman that you put here. Man blames the woman and God. God comes to the man, uh, comes to the woman and, and uh, comes to the man and offers him this opportunity to share openly, to be vulnerable and share what happened. And the way the man chooses to share is by blaming. Uh, we never experience this in our house, do we? Like, no one ever blames. Uh, uh-huh. uh, and so God moves on. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. And The serpent! It's not me! It's the serpent deceived me. More blame. God comes to the woman and gives her the opportunity to be vulnerable, to share openly, to confess. Hey, not my fault. The serpent. The serpent did it. Uh, this is so much of the human pattern we experience. We have fear. We hide. If it gets exposed, we blame. Not my fault. Somebody else. Uh, fear, hiding, blaming. We have this movement uh, throughout this chapter. Fear, grasping 
for something outside of God. Eyes open, more fear, shame, self-covering, hiding, more fear, blaming others. Uh, There is this regular pattern in life that we so often live from. Uh, 1 John tells us there is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. This, this one who is perfect love comes and invites us to live a life of love, not fear. I, I believe pretty strongly that there are two primary motives in life. And they are love and they are fear. And we are invited to be motivated by love. Now, life is often a mucky, muddled mess of both, isn't it? We, we long to be motivated by love, but so often even the things we do out of love are, have some drive of fear in them because we want others to love us or we want to feel needed. Uh, And yet God invites us, this God of perfect love invites us to this life of love and says there is no fear in love. Um, Walter Brueggemann says this, "Our, our public life is largely premised on an exploitation of our common anxiety. The advertising of consumerism and the drives of the acquisitive society, like the serpent, seduce into believing there are securities apart from the reality of God. Uh, How often are we motivated by security, by safety, by uh, the things that we believe will give us sustainability in life outside of God? Uh, Our culture so often leads us to believe that the best possible way to be safe and secure is to pursue things that perhaps God is not inviting us to pursue. Uh, This God of love invites us into a different reality, into a different way of being human, and it is a way of trusting God more than trusting the economy, more than trusting ourselves, more than trusting Uh, a politician more than trusting uh, any type of leader. It is trusting God, that God has our best interest in mind, that God has written a story and invited us into it in a way that will bring life and will bring love, not fear. Uh, And we live in a culture largely driven by uh, fear an image, that we have to have this certain image. People have to, we have to portray ourselves a certain way to people. We can't truly allow people to see what's underneath. Um, Pop song by Labyrinth, I sing, would you let me see beneath your beautiful? Would you let me see beneath your perfect? 
this, this question of w w would you take the mask off? Would you take the image off and let me truly see you for who you are in all of your brokenness and all of your beauty? Uh, we are a broken, messed up people. I'm, I'm broken and messed up. A and the invitation is to be okay with that, to recognize the brokenness and to long to live in to the beauty, to allow God to lead us into the beautiful life of love we were created for, that we were created for so much more and that we don't have to cover it up. Uh, the text continues. God, notice this. This is part of the beauty of this story. God comes to the man and, and gives the man the opportunity to be open and honest and vulnerable with him. God offers the same opportunity to the, to the woman. God does not offer that opportunity to the serpent. God just speaks to the serpent and says, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is uh, the, the first uh, little glimmer of foreshadowing we see of the cross that ultimately uh, the serpent would strike the heel of God. This is the image of the cross, but ultimately a serpent crusher is coming. The, the people of Israel kept believing through generation after generation. There is a serpent crusher who is coming, who will crush the head of the serpent and restore us to the people we are called to be, who will make us into the people once again we were called to be. And this happens in and through Jesus. Why don't you read verse 21? The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Okay. Uh, so the man and the woman had put on their own coverings. And God comes and says, your coverings are inadequate. They won't do. Uh, God made garments of skin for them. What... We don't know for sure, the story doesn't tell us, but what this implies is that it, it seems that God killed an animal in order to make these garments of skin for them, that Adam and Eve literally saw the consequences of their choice, that death did enter this beautiful garden, and God covers them with skins. And, and then the text moves on to say that God... They had to, Adam and Eve had to leave the garden and he placed a cherubim with a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Uh, so we have this tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we have this tree of life and they were not forbidden to eat from the tree of life. But now God drives them out and we often view this as, as a, a part of punishment and consequences for their sin but this is actually an act of grace on God's part. God does not want them to eat from the tree of life and live forever 
in this fallen state. God drives them from the garden because God has a different plan now. And it is for this serpent crusher to come and offer true life and water so we will never thirst again. And so the people of Israel longed for this day when the serpent crusher would come and we would experience this true life. Uh, This story in Genesis 3 tells us of uh, this first couple who grasped for something outside of God. And their eyes were opened. And when their eyes were opened, they saw fear, they saw shame, they saw death. They saw their own deep brokenness. Generations and generations later, the serpent crusher would come. And he would live this beautiful, perfect life of love and invite others into this way of love and grace and forgiveness and delight. And he would die at the hands of the Romans and the religious elite of Jesus' day and he rose again. And in one story after Jesus rose again in Luke 24, uh, he comes upon a a different couple. They're walking home. Uh, The one they had thought was the Messiah, the one they had dreamed was the Messiah, was dead. The one they thought had come to bring shalom back was dead. And the text says their faces were downcast. They were literally depressed. And they were walking home depressed to Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. They're walking. Because this movement of the return of Shalom is done. The one they thought had come to crush the head of the serpent was dead. But Jesus comes up alongside them, and they don't recognize him. And he says, what are you talking about? And they, they tell him. And he begins to share stories from the scriptures, from Moses, from the prophets, to help them understand this had to happen. This serpent crusher who, who came had to die. And they are just enthralled by what they hear, but they still don't recognize Jesus, and they arrive at their home, and they invite Jesus to come in, and in first century Palestine, the role of a host would be to serve. As a, as a guest, you would never come in and serve your host. It's much the same in our own culture, right? You'd feel it kind of odd if, some, if you invited someone over for dinner, and they came over and immediately took over your kitchen and tried to serve you. But this is uh, what happens here. They invite Jesus in, and and it is Jesus who took the bread. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. So Jesus is playing the host. Remember the first couple in Genesis 3? They grasped. They did not allow Jesus 
to serve them. They did not allow God to serve them. They did not allow God to tell them about good and evil. Instead, they reached for it and grasped for it somewhere outside of God. But this couple in Luke 24, they allow Jesus to serve them. He breaks the bread in their home and gives it to them. And this first couple, when they grasped and ate the fruit, their eyes were opened. And they saw death, they saw fear, they saw shame. This couple, Jesus breaks the bread and gives it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This couple, their eyes are opened, and they see the serpent pressure. They see life. They see light. They see love. They see shalom. They see hope. That which happened in an ancient story long ago has been reversed in and through Jesus. And they run seven miles back to Jerusalem to tell everybody else. The movement of shalom is not over. It has only just begun. My hope and prayer for us this morning, as we come and we take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, my prayer is that your eyes will be opened more and more to the serpent crusher, to the resurrected Christ, to the one who invites us into a way of grace and faith and joy and love and light. My prayer is that your eyes will be opened to hope. Whatever you're experiencing this morning, whatever memories you may have of realizing how deeply broken this world is, I hope uh, you will recognize and embrace these words from Frederick Buechner. He says, what's lost is nothing to what's found. And all the death that ever was set next to life would scarcely fill a cup. I think we walk through life sometimes seeing so much brokenness, so much anxiety, feeling so much anxiety, functioning out of brokenness that we forget that we were created for something so much more. Genesis 3 happened. But there is something deeper within us still. And it is the image of God. Or as Ephesians says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word handiwork is the word poema. It is poem. We are God's poem created in Christ Jesus. That which is deepest within you is not sin, is not brokenness, is not heartache. It is a poem that God has written. It is the image of God which God has implanted within you. It is beauty, it is life, and it is love. And may your eyes be open to that this morning. God, thank you for your deep
deep goodness. God, I pray that you would make us more and more the people you created us to be, your handiwork, your craftsmanship, your poem, and that we would live into that, that we would set aside and release to you all fear and anxiety and shame and guilt, the things that hold us back, and instead we would open our eyes to the abundant life you invite us into. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.